Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mike and Amit Talk Tech. Blockchain, crypto, digital currencies, Web3, you know, these words have been going around for quite a while. And after all of the dust has settled, there is, seems to be one term that has stuck. And that term, which a lot of really smart people are taking seriously, seems to be Web3. So, so let's try and understand what this is, how that's going to impact our lives, how much of our lives it's actually going to change. Let's dig a little bit deeper into this. So I'm joined by Mike Wade. This is Mike and Amit Talk Tech Web3. Buzzy, right? I mean, it's a super buzzy thing, Web3. I mean, a lot of people, they hear Web3 and they think, what happened to Web2? Where did that go? Did we have a Web1? And so I think in order to understand Web3, we actually do have to go back. Because there was a web one and there was a web two. We're still in the web two world, basically. And so web three is more a promise than it is a reality today. So why do we need a web three? So if we go back to web one, this is the web of the 1990s, where you know many of you were involved in that. It was kind of a one-way street. You know, It's like the world's biggest library. You can go there, you get all kinds of information, find out all kinds of interesting things. You know, you could occasionally buy something because, you know, e-commerce was getting kicked off, but it wasn't really a two-way street. And, and that's where Web2 came in around the turn of the millennium still going on today, where the web becomes a place where you can not only read, but you can also write. You know, you can contribute, you can you can buy, but you can also sell. And so there's a, it's much more participative, it's much more of a two-way street in, in a Web 2 world. So it's much more interactive and engaging than it was in the Web 1 era. So what's the issue? Well, in order for Web 2 to function, you need a bunch of middlemen. You need all of these companies kind of sit in the middle. So if you want to buy and sell something, you have eBay and you have Amazon sitting in the middle, facilitating those transactions. If you want to share stories or pictures or videos, then you need the Facebooks and, and the Twitters and so forth. So all these intermediaries popped up to facilitate the back and forth two-way street. And some people feel that those intermediaries have just become way, way, way too powerful, right? So those digital giants, they are... Still, even today, they're still among the most valuable companies in the world, and they have a lot of power. So Web3 was really an effort to give power back to the people, back to us, back to users, so that these intermediaries lose some of their the nefarious power they can use over us to control our lives. That can be taken away. So the technologies and the processes behind Web3 a big part of that was to give us power back to control our online existence. Mike, explain this to me. How is Web3 related to blockchain? Because I've always heard the two of them not discussed interchangeably, but discussed almost simultaneously. So what's going on there? Just tell us a little about that. Right. So in order for this idea, and Web3 really is more of a concept or right. an idea than is a reality today, but in order for the idea to work, you need a few conditions, few foundational conditions, right? The first foundational condition, I think there are five of them, basically. The first one is ownership and control that you own your identity, right? So now you go to Amazon and you sign in and you have one identity and you go to Facebook and you sign in, different login, different identity, Google. And so, well, you'd have one identity and you control that. So you control what information is shared about you 
and where it goes and anything that happens in the online world is under your control. So that's the first one. The second one is you need some kind of a value exchange medium. So tokenization, you need tokens. And this is where crypto comes in. You need some way to give value and share value and exchange value online so that the whole thing works, right? Because you've got to pay people to do things. The third thing is that you need traceability, right? Traceability so that you can track transactions, you can track where, you know, if you put a post somewhere, let's say, and it gets shared and somebody monetizes it, but without you knowing, you know, that's a web two thing, not a, in a web three world, every time it, it's tagged, so it gets shared. And if there's money exchange, you get a cut of that, right? But you need, you need the currency and you need the traceability and that's where blockchain comes in. So the, the traceability is provided by blockchain. Beyond that, there's, there's the whole sense in a web three world that digital assets have value. And many of them don't today because, you know, you can just control C, control V, right? I mean, you can seamlessly exchange digital assets like like images or videos without any payment. So this is where the NFT comes in. So NFT is, is part of Web3 so that digital assets, intangible assets do have value. And then the, fin the final principle of Web3 is around this concept of decentralization. In a, in a Web3 world, if you want to buy something, you can connect directly to the seller. Right? You don't need eBay or you don't need Amazon, right? If you want money, you can connect directly to lenders. You don't need banks. If you want to, if you want to share risk, you can find a pool of people that'll share that risk with you. You don't need insurance companies. If you want a vehicle, you know, a ride, you can just connect directly with the person with the car and the free time. You don't need Uber. So the whole idea is, is you connect directly peer to peer. So you don't need intermediaries. That is absolutely fascinating, right? Because it seems to me like by cutting out the middleman, you are both solving an issue, but as well as creating an issue. You're solving the issue that the middleman or the middle entity today has a lot of power. It has perhaps grown too powerful with, with access to scaled levels of data, which you want to avoid. However, today, the middle entity, if you will, is also playing the role almost of a guarantor, right? I mean, if I get into an Uber cab, I'm getting into somebody else's car. And Uber kind of sort of is not assuring me, but giving me a semblance of trust that the person in there is probably not an axe murderer or something like that, right? Who takes over that responsibility if you're removing the middle entity completely? In other words, I mean, is this going to be a mass application uh, given that the middle entity is gone or is this going to be relatively niche? What, what do you think? Well, you know, we talked about the the potential of Web3, right? And it's it's quite utopian. You know, it's going to be this world where we can have these lives that are lived online, but we're not controlled by these, you know, big for-profit entities. But there's a reason, as you mentioned, that those entities exist. They facilitate a lot of the stuff that they do a lot of the heavy lifting that we don't want to do. You know, a web three world, you probably need to do coding. You probably need to have servers in your home. And that's what these digital giants take away from us. So we don't have to worry about that stuff. You know, if something goes wrong, there's a tech support line. You may not be very good, but at least it's there. And so there's a reason that these organizations exist. And you may not like it, you may not like them, but when I look at it, you know, I, I look at Google, for example, you know, you can say that Google's a big, you know, powerful, potentially evil company. But when I look at Google, I, I see that I get really great products. You know, I can find information on pretty much anything I want instantly and I don't pay for it. And you can argue, yeah, you do pay because you pay with your data, but okay, fine. So what? I'm getting a great service 
And you can say the same thing about Facebook, you say anything about Twitter, same thing about, you know, Amazon or whatever. They're providing a lot of service, which is good, good quality service for not a lot of cost. So I think the whole premise of Web3 can be challenged. Are these intermediaries really as evil and self-serving as many people in the Web3 community suggest that they are? And here's always been the question I've had in my head. So yeah, Google takes your data and monetizes that, right? But if you get rid of Google, if you get rid of Facebook, does your individual data by itself have that value? Can you go and sell it in the market? And the answer is probably no. So your data by itself till yesterday, it, it existed since the day you were born in some way, shape or form. It's only in the last 15 or 18 years since these organizations, these Web2 organizations have come to play, not even for Web1. It's only when Web2 existed that your data and my data really started having the sort of value that these organizations are capturing today. So I think they do deserve some of the uh, excess rents that they have generated from this. But again, just in terms of, if you want to talk, talk about this in the terms of disruption, right? Would it then be fair to say that Web3 would be most useful in places where the value of data is relatively high, but the requirement for trust is relatively low, because that's when it can really give you the value of data without you have to worrying about trust, right? Is that is that a fair way to think about it, maybe? I do think that's a good way to think about it, yeah. And you have those situations most often when you avoid the physical part of it, yes. right? So so we see, you know, Web3-like examples where you'll have a bunch of people setting up a smart contract to buy a virtual good, you know? It's an online digital piece of art. And so a bunch of people get together and they kind of crowd source fund this acquisition, they get together and then and they have a smart contract that gives them some kind of rights over this piece of digital art. So the nice thing about that is, is you don't have to worry about the messy transition into the real world. Right. And so I think there are some use cases where you, you could see Web3 working relatively well, but when it comes to the majority of what we do, I think it's going to struggle because the complexity of real life transactions and organizations are such that you, you can't just put that in a smart contract and anticipate all the potential things that could go wrong. But then what would be some business models? Because look, in, in Web2, the business models kinds of reveal themselves, right? And they really, really got more involved and they got more nuanced as Web2 became more and more mature. Are there any obvious business models that we can see in Web3? Is it is it mainly going to be fairly, in your words, utopian, where things transact themselves without really having business models. And in that case, I mean, that begs the other question, right? Forget trust, forget everything else. Who maintains the Web3 infrastructure? Because I'm assuming this thing is not cheap or easy to maintain, right? I mean, you're talking about a really, really complex blockchain algorithm, you know, who the heck knows what Satoshi Nakamoto is up to now? Somebody's got to maintain it. Somebody's got to update it, right? Somebody's got to prevent it from being a hack or something. How, how does that work? Right. It's a great question. So the, the utopian view is that if you don't have a, you know, a middle entity facilitating a transaction and each party deals directly with the other party, the cost of that's going to be a heck of a lot lower than it, than it is today. So yeah, there'll be a commission on a purchase or a sale or something like that, but it'll be a microtransaction. And a lot of that is managed through the smart contracts. So you don't need a lot of people, right? So it's all kind of done automatically. So there'll be very small transactions, things will be a lot cheaper. And because it's simplified, it's gonna run very smoothly. The reality is that in fact, 
those systems do need to be managed and updated. And that's a big deal. So what you see, it, even in the kind of emergent Web3 world now, you see the formation of new intermediaries, right? So, you know, those people to manage all the data flows or to control the blockchain that's behind it or to host the digital art that's being put out for sale or connect wallets together. I mean, there's this bunch of new intermediaries that are popping up. Whether it's Coinbase, it's OpenSea and these kinds of folks, right? Exactly. Binance, Coinbase, OpenSea, MetaMask. I mean, you know, there's a ton of these out there. And so a cynic would look at it and say, aren't we just replacing one set of intermediaries that we know and understand that are publicly company? You may say they're big and strong and evil, but at least they have oversight. Right. Because they're public companies with a bunch of companies that we've never heard of that are based in Estonia and Kazakhstan and wherever. And are completely opaque. Even even experts don't know, have no idea what the heck's going on inside. No idea, right? And we and we've seen recently, and a lot of these companies can just blow up. They they seem really legit, and then and then the next day, someone's getting arrested in the Bahamas. So so I I would say for the moment, you know, Web three. My advice to somebody, hey, you know, should I be getting onto Web three? I said, do so, but carefully, right. right? Carefully. It's still a kind of a scary place. It's a bit of the wild west out there. The only people getting rich, I think, are the are the VCs that are funding these things. And so for the moment, I would say the, the reality is falling very, very far short of the promise of what Web3 is supposed to give us. So what you're telling me, Mike, is if I am one of these quote-unquote massive intermediaries, let's take one that's, uh, that's specifically on the fire today, if I'm Facebook, right? Or better still, if I'm Instagram, because uh, I have to go through your platform to upload my pictures. Do I need to be concerned with that this thing called Web3 is out there and I may no longer need to go through your specific platform to share my pictures? I could potentially just use blockchain and they're on there forever and they're protected. And if somebody ever reuses my beautiful pictures, I can start charging them uh, NFTs. Would I need to be worried if I was at Instagram or YouTube or one of these people? You need to be concerned. Yeah, worried, maybe not very worried. I mean, if I was Facebook, I'd be more worried about TikTok than some kind of web free version of Facebook at the moment, but definitely they should be monitoring it. And and I think, you know, the pressure is on them because web free is offering this kind of utopia power back to the people. And I think if users become dissatisfied enough, dissatisfied enough with the service they're getting from these, you know, web two digital giants, they will look for alternatives. So I think the pressure is on them to make sure that they're continuing to provide a lot of value at a perceived low cost without a lot of risk. And I think if they can do that, then it's going to be a hard sell for, you know, users to switch to something which is unproven. You're always going to get the innovators, you know, the technorati are, are going to be all over it. But to get that majority there is going to be a hard sell. But if the if the digital giants continue along the path that some of them have been taken, you know, demanding more and more, be more and more restrictive and so forth, then they probably in, in the future do need cause to worry. But I think maybe one of the the short-term impacts of Web3 is actually on improving our relationship with Web2 companies so that they actually, you know, take note of this and, and, and make sure that we have a better experience to avoid that potential, you know, shift in the future to Web3. So it's probably a benefit to us that Web3 exists because it'll make Web2 better. Brilliant, you should say that because this is exactly what was going through my mind, that Web3's biggest contribution 
might actually be to scare web too straight, right? I mean, so suddenly a viable outside option, even if it's like really outside, it's a viable outside option. And who knows, right? 10 years from now, what we might have is like web 2.5, which which basically retains features of web 2. We have intermediaries, but they are kinder, gentler intermediaries in some way, shape, or form that actually adhere to social norms and those kinds of things because of the threat of this web 3. Who knows? Do you see 10 years from now are still being fascinated by Web3 and talking about it? Or do you think there'll be something new shiny on the horizon? Yeah, I don't think we'll be talking about Web3 in this way. I think Web3 may come in, in some form, but I don't think it'll be this. I don't think it'll be this kind of utopian idea that everybody's given up on all the big digital giants and are doing everything directly through smart contracts, you know, and using cryptocurrencies on a daily basis. I, I, I don't see that, uh, honestly, and, and I agree with you. I think, you know, scaring the the digital giants a little straighter than they maybe are now is maybe the most most visible impact of this discussion around Web3. But I don't think we'll be talking about this in five years. Thanks for listening to Mike and Amit Talk Tech. I'm Mike Wade, Professor of Innovation and Strategy at IMD. If you haven't done so already, remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And to learn more about IMD's management programs, go to imd.org.